1: is a far cry from what it once was, before the city drove an interstate right through it in the 60s. The thing is, these days, it's nearly impossible to see what North Nashville looked and felt like back in its heyday. But today, we're gonna take you back in time and show you. Later this hour, it's a rebroadcast of one of our very first episodes of This Is Nashville. Now, I wanna take a moment to share something with you all. This hour, we plan to bring you a live episode focused on how our queer communities are finding support these days. We had planned this for a couple weeks in light of anti-trans and anti-queer legislation that our state has passed, or its near passing. After Monday's Covenant School shooting that left six dead, including three children, information began to circulate about the shooter's identity and whether or not, as police said, they identified as trans. There's still a, a lot we don't know. But I'll tell you what, the transphobia that all of this has intensified is unquestionable. So our guests for today's show on queer community support told us they didn't feel safe coming onto our show today. For now, we've postponed that episode, but I hope, we all hope, that we can treat each other with kindness and respect and not make anything worse than it already is for all of us right now. All right, on that note, we'd like to bring you an update on what the on that shooting now with WPLN's criminal justice reporter, Paige Flager, who's been working tirelessly to since the shooting took place on Monday morning. Paige, thank you so much for being here.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: So let's start with what we know about the shooting. Police have released surveillance video and body cam footage. What has it told us about how the shooting unfolded?
2: The body camera footage captures about three minutes of the police response. It's from cameras worn by two officers who fired shots. The footage shows kind of the urgency of all of the officers as soon as they arrived heading into the school. They move methodically through the hallways, check the classrooms. An alarm is blaring. Urgency rises when they hear gunshots coming from upstairs. And officers had been told by staff that many students were still up there on that second floor. In terms of timeline... Officers made it to the school nine minutes after the 911 call and had confronted and fatally shot Audrey Hale, the shooter, within three minutes of entering the building. And it's worth noting that Police Chief John Drake has said time and time again since the shooting at Robb Elementary School in Texas that his officers would not hesitate to enter into a building. They would not react the way police in Texas did. They went in. They went in quickly. And that's exactly what we saw in the video.
1: Police have also begun talking about the assailant's family and their concerns about the situation. Can you tell us more about that?
2: MMPD had a press conference yesterday to provide some updates after interviewing Audrey Hale's parents. Police Chief John Drake said that Hale had purchased seven guns from five different gun stores in the area, all of which were obtained legally. Three of those weapons, including two assault-style firearms, were used during the shooting. Hale's parents did not think that Hale should have access to firearms. Um, Police have said that had they known that, or that Hale was possibly suicidal or a threat to others, that they might have been able to intervene. But honestly, that's doubtful, because Tennessee does not have an extreme risk protection order bill, more commonly known as a red flag law, which would have allowed families like Hale's to request guns be removed temporarily. And even if someone had alerted law enforcement Tennessee has relatively weak gun dispossession laws that make it really difficult for them to go in and take someone's guns away. Democratic lawmakers, um, it's worth mentioning, have introduced several red flag laws um, multiple times. Gloria Johnson has introduced a similar law multiple different times, but they've never made it to the governor's desk.
1: Mm. One of the first public expressions was a a political rally at the state capitol organized by Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. This was an organization that started up in the wake of the Sandy Hook shooting. You were at that rally on Tuesday. Tell me what it was like.
2: Yeah, people are angry. People are tired. People are incredibly heartbroken. And, you know, Khalil, I've been covering these rallies and some of these pushes for gun reform over the last few years here in Tennessee. And advocates have always said to me, We need to act before a mass shooting happens in our community, but that action has not happened. So there was just a lot of exasperation and frustration in the crowd. Becca Dryden is a mom and she's been grappling with this latest shooting hitting so close to home.
0: I have an eight and a half year old son and I had to send him to school today. And it was terrifying. (laughs) I spent hours yesterday trying to research how to developmentally appropriately. explain to my eight and a half year old and my five year old daughter who
2: starts kindergarten next year. How to explain to them what happened because I knew they would hear it from
0: other kids and I needed them to know I was a safe person to talk to about it while also trying to not fall apart in
2: front of them. And you can hear there these feelings that so many parents in our city and our state, and honestly, even the country, have had to deal with after yet another school shooting.
1: Mm. Guns are interwoven in our culture. And in recent debate, in recent decades, pardon me, the, the courts have been saying that the right to own and carry guns is protected by the Second Amendment. Yeah. So what specifically do... People want Tennessee, Tennessee's political leaders to do. Is there anything they
2: think they can do? Yeah. So red flag laws, for one, that's something that a lot of gun control advocates have wanted to see for years. Um, There's also a renewed conversation around banning assault weapons. Um, That discussion is even coming from President Joe Biden now at the White House in the wake of this shooting. Um, Democratic lawmakers were actually at this rally that I attended and called on their colleagues across the aisle for reforms, like accepting less money from the gun lobby. There were also a lot of calls for mental health care to be improved in Tennessee. That's what Rafia Muhammad McCormick wants to see. She was at the rally because she lost her son to gun violence.
0: I'm tired! I'm angry. I'm angry of having to stand out here and have to explain and sit across some legislators one-on-one and have them keep telling me the gun didn't kill the child, the person killed the child. Well, we got a whole bunch of broken people. We got a whole bunch of broken people that you give access to weapons. Until you're able to fix all those broken people, stop giving them access.
2: She told me if everyone can have access to guns and that's not going to change, then everyone should have access to free mental health services.
1: How have Republicans reacted to these calls for more restrictions on guns?
2: Republicans are being asked about this directly. Um, here's Republican Congressman Tim Burchett of, Nash- or of Knoxville, pardon me, speaking to reporters from the steps of the, the U.S. Capitol.
3: I don't see any real role that we... do other than mess things up honestly because of the um, situation it's um, uh, like I said I don't think a criminal is going to stop from guns you know you can print them out on the computer now 3D printing and there's really I I don't think you're going to stop the gun violence I think you've got to change people's hearts you know as a Christian as we talk about in the church and I've said this many times I think we really need revival in this country
2: And that response has gotten a lot of attention, but he's one of the only folks who have responded so directly to that question. Otherwise, we're seeing a lot of Republicans have offered thoughts and prayers and have also praised the quick action of the police officers.
1: Last night, Governor Bill Lee released a five-minute video on social media addressing the shooting. One thing he said during that speech is that his wife had personally been close friends and colleagues with one of the victims, Cynthia Peake and that they had planned to have dinner together later that night. Let's hear a little bit more of that message.
4: Prayer is the first thing we should do, but it's not the only thing. Law enforcement officials and educators across our state have been working for years, especially in the last year, to strengthen the safety of our schools. And that work was not in vain. The courage and swift response by the teachers and officers in this community without a doubt, prevented further tragedy. There will be a time to talk about the legislation and the budget proposals that we brought forth, even this year. And clearly there's more work to do. But on this day, after the tragedy, I want to speak to that, which rises above all else. The battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. The struggle is against evil itself.
1: Hmm. Governor Bill Lee, in his video address, also thanked Nashville's police officers who ran toward danger to confront the attacker. Paige, what do you take away from the governor's message?
2: So Lee's message was about coming together and supporting the community. He said that now is not the time for divisiveness or policy discussions about what should be done next. He said that he would act, But in the past, that action has largely looked like safeguarding schools, not really making changes to gun laws. In fact, in this five-minute address, he doesn't even say the word gun. But the parents that I spoke to at the rally the other day were really clear, especially those who lost loved ones to gun violence. Many of them asked if right now isn't the right time for action, then when is.
1: All right. Last one. We got like 30 seconds. There's been countless mass shootings in recent years, and each time there are calls for political leaders to do something to stop them. What do you think the likely response from Tennessee's leadership will be this time around? About 20 seconds.
2: I wouldn't be surprised to hear a lot of conversation about school safety, arming teachers, increased budgets for police department, that sort of thing. I would be surprised to hear folks who are not Democrats talking about gun reform here in Tennessee.
1: Paige, I want to thank you so much for coming on to the show. I want to thank you for all of the hard work You've been doing. Get yourself some rest, okay? Thank you. All right, that is WPLN criminal justice reporter Paige Flager. She's been following this story closely for the past few days. You can find her coverage at WPLN.org. Thank you again for your hard work, Paige. Take care of yourself, okay? Mm -hmm. Listeners, if you would like to share how the Covenant School shooting is affecting you and your community, head to thisisnashville.org and leave us a voice message or write us. Tomorrow, we're dedicating a whole episode to the aftermath of this chat tragedy. Join us. Please join us. We want to hear from you. All right, we have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll be taking a look at the artistic legacy of North Nashville and learning more about the movement to bring the vibe back and keep the memories alive. It's a rebroadcast for March 2022, so don't go away. This is Nashville. Khalil Lake Elona, and this is Nashville. In its heyday in the 50s and 60s, North Nashville was something of a cultural oasis, a mecca for our black communities, according to the folks who lived there or wined and dined there. The streets were full of activity. There was live music nearly every night. The nightclubs drew the likes of Etta James and Jimi Hendrix. Then... Starting in the late 60s, the city began ripping through this vibrant community with an interstate. I-40 displaced North Nashville as we knew it, bringing noise and pollution in its place. But even through all of that, the community persisted. And today's North Nashville is somewhat at a turning point. This hour, we're going to bring you an episode that first aired last March, featuring folks who are working to keep the neighborhood alive and thriving. One staple of this community is the bookstore Alcabalon Images. It was founded by Yusef Harris, who ran the shop all the way up to his death last January. Last year, we kicked off the show with an interview with his son, now owner of Al Jordan Harris. JORDAN HARRIS,
5: Greetings and thanks for having me.
1: Oh, thank you for being with us. Now, your father, Yusef Harris, started the store you operate now. And I just want to say, on behalf of everyone here at This Is Nashville, very sorry for your loss.
5: Oh, thank you, thank you. It's been um, definitely been uh, a new phase, um, having taken over the business from my father. But it's def- it's also been very encouraging. The the outpouring and the the reflections that I've received from from countless people. Still, it's been a couple months, but it's every day still people coming in and sharing positive stories. And- It's been, it's been encouraging for sure. Mm
1: -hmm. Now tell me a little bit about Akebulon. It's a bookstore, but it's also a lot more than just that, right?
5: Yes. So, so my father opened the store, um, in, in 1986 and, and very, in the early days, it was, he was selling a lot of art and, um, and I guess the, the real impetus behind his business was that he was a, a psychologist by training, um, and, he really believed that there weren't enough positive black images for black people to to feel proud and to um, to really believe that you know they are worth um, whatever they want to believe they're, they're they're worth you know mm-hmm. and and so it evolved into um, expanding into books um, primarily and then over the years gathering more and more you know positive materials art um, fashion and, 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 and now even to, you know, lifestyle products like skin and hair care products that, that uh, center, you know, a uh, black customer, center the black experience and um, really push to develop a sense of, of self um, through our product, product
1: line. Now, North Nashville is like kind of at a crossroads, much like the rest of the city. How would you describe this current moment for the neighborhood?
5: I think it's it's a very important moment, um, and I think a lot of people kind of have gotten used to this concept of gentrification in waves across America, but at, at this point in Nashville, I think we have the opportunity to um, to do something different, to do something unique, to really reflect the history of the neighborhood as it grows. There's you know there's an opportunity to. Um, to bring the neighborhood up along with the rest of the city by highlighting the history of the neighborhood and 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 adding to you know the culture of the new Nashville that's that's being built.
1: I like that. So it's like different than development in the past. It's development while continuing to remember what was as we build toward the future. Am I right with that?
5: Yeah, I believe yes. I agree. Um, I agree with you. So you're explanation. I think, you know, a lot of times it's a, a lack of resources that just allows uh, an outside influence to, to move in unchallenged. Um, but I think, you know, the, today's uh, resident and today's, you know, Black North Nashville has a little more access. We have, we have ability to, to learn from other cities and to lean on the, the increased, you know, resources that Nashville as the IT city has, um, attracted to, 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 to create things that add to the new Nashville experience, you know, the, um, that instead of just being the vanilla, this is what we do everywhere in the country. We build, we knock everything old down and we build new, you know, bland structures. You know, I think Nash, North Nashville has an ability like the rest of Nashville to, um, create, uh, new buildings and, and, and new environments that reflect the culture.
1: Mm-hmm. And someone who else is bringing new environments to North Nashville is our next guest. Elisha Israel Morozik is a tattoo artist and the owner of One Drop Inc. on Jefferson Street. Elisha, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Hey, thank you so much for having me on.
1: It's a pleasure. It's absolutely a pleasure. So tell me, how, how did you come about coming to Nashville? And tell me why you decided to start your tattoo business where you did.
0: So I came to Nashville in 2007 after I graduated from Memphis College of Art. I'm originally from Memphis. And when I first started uh, tattooing, I had a really tough time getting my foot in the door in the industry because there's a lot of um, history of discrimination in how the tattoo industry works and uh, how you can get on board to become a professional. And in dealing with that, I had to end up opening my own shop in order for me to be able to start tattooing. And I looked for um, a place that was going to be around people I was comfortable with, that was affordable and inviting, and that's how I ended up on Jefferson Street through a referral of a friend. I found an awesome uh, lady named Mrs. Crutcher who uh, allowed me to move into her building that she owned on Jefferson. It was a little one-room spot, but it was affordable and you know no credit check needed. You know it mm-hmm. was somebody who saw what I was trying to do with my art and community and want to invest in me by allowing me to use her space to start my business. And from there, we've been now open for 10 years. And I found out that we're the first black tattoo shop in Middle Tennessee. And I'm the first black licensed tattoo artist in Middle Tennessee. So it was a stepping stone in growth in a neighborhood who's known for creativity
3: and growth. That's
1: wonderful. Now Evan Brown owns Inca Gallery on Buchanan Street. We asked him how he would like our show to cover North Nashville. Here's what he told us. I would just like coverage about the black arts, about Buchanan, about not just the gentrification of it, but the, the amazing parts that are happening to it, right? And the people who live there and the stories that you know, that are from that community, right? There are several of those buildings that are owned by and that have always been owned by Black people. And so I would love for that community to be shed a light on. Shedding a light. That's what we're doing today. Alicia, I'll start with you. What's your reaction to what Evan's saying right there?
0: Well, I agree with him completely because the media, when they do cover our area, they tend to come over here to cover a crime or something bad happening in a way that it seems like that's all that happens over here. And nobody comes to cover when it is a positive thing that's happening. It always has to be something tragic. And there is so much joy and uh, invention here and creativity flowing throughout this neighborhood. We've been lucky to help start the Jefferson Street Art Crawl, which is right now on hiatus. But we plan on bringing back some more activities like that. But that really connected the outside city to all the art and creativity happening on Jefferson Street from artists who never had a chance in these galleries downtown in the other art crawls pre-2020.
1: This is Nashville. I'm your host, Khalil A. Colonna. We're taking a look at the historic neighborhood of North, North Nashville and talking with some entrepreneurs who are working to bring the community into the future while maintaining its legacy. So Alicia, but let me ask you, as someone who is trying not only to stay in business and succeed, but also lift up the community... How are you feeling about that work?
0: That work is, it's difficult because when you, you know, have been in an area as long as my shop has for 11 years this year, you see the change happening and you wonder how you can catch up to it. Hmm. Um, like right now, the prices are over a million dollars for anything on Jefferson Street, and we're renting. You know, we're we're hoping that our connection with our landlord and the fact that it's a family building will outlast us being able to uh, stay there and continue to rent from them uh, until we could try to afford a property. But the prices are just so expensive, we aren't sure about that. And it's also just difficult when you feel like you have no resources the rest of the city has been invested in so much to grow and north nashville's kind of been left to stagnate and get cheaper in price so that outside investors could come in and swoop it up
1: now jordan before his passing you and your father bought some property in north nashville is that right
5: yes uh so when i moved back home um in 2019 you know, I realized the business was, was pretty strong and, and we had opportunity to try and grow it. And I started looking for uh, an office and warehouse space to rent. And for the price of the rental, it seemed like the ability to to pay a mortgage would be not much more. And so I, I looked and I, I happened across um, a building that was formerly LP print shop, Subscreen on, on, on Buckhannon street. And, um, we were fortunate to take advantage of some, you know, um, some financing available and, and, and get the building. Also, together with the the previous um, owner, you know, helping us out by providing some seller financing, so we didn't have to go through the bank. And we've got this building, and, and I'm I'm really excited about trying to make sure what happens in that space is uh, something that, you know, promotes what what north nashville has been and and for me a big um goal is to make north nashville a place that you know african americans choose to live in instead of what has historically been more of a place that was left to us Mm. and making that transition from a place that you're being pushed to to a place that you choose i think can make a can make all the difference in how the neighborhood develops.
1: It makes a difference in how individuals feel. If you're forced to do something, you may not be accepting to it, but if you choose to and you're welcome there, that just changes the entire psychology of it. Now, it seems that there's a lot of interesting connections between some of the businesses out north. Evan Brown, who we heard from earlier, and his brother, is also one of the owners at Slim & Huskies. So tell me, what's the vibe like when it comes to collaboration between businesses? Alicia? I wanna start with you. What is the vibe like with the businesses in North Nashville?
0: Well, I love it because North Nashville really gets together and does collaborations often. And that's been my experience. I recently did a collaboration with Inca Gallery uh, and Slim & Huskies and Creative Girls Rock and did a sip and paint for the community to raise money for the nonprofit. Um, We have collaborated on murals. We've collaborated on events when we did the Jefferson Street Art Crawl, Woodcuts with Nathaniel Harris, uh, the Garden Brunch, which unfortunately is no longer there, which was an amazing restaurant, as well as other venues, Upperson all collaborated together with uh, myself and other local artists to put on the Jefferson Street Art Crawl, which drew thousands of people every month for three years mm-hmm. uh, and we um celebrated our fifth year in the pandemic um really kind of shut down what we were doing and it, it but the collaboration spirit is still there and there's a lot of things to come in
1: the future jordan same question to you i uh,
5: guess yeah, so so you know my father um set up shops, and i was like i said he was selling art and and uh he and Nate Harris, who owns Woodcuts, you know, were working together with the framing of the art, and and so there was there was always even back then a spirit of working together in business, and um, and that's some, definitely something that I'm I'm trying to to keep keep doing to to work together. I mean, we've got a, a book club going on um, this that's beginning this month with Ye's, which just opened on Jefferson Street, the cafe. And you know, I think it it's, it's definitely falls into my goal of of making people decide that you know North Nashville is a place to go by by working together we can have more events that make people want to be here and the more often they're here the more often they'll think why don't I stay here or you know why don't I locate myself here There's things that cater to me and and center me so so let me be. You know, have have greater proximity to that area. Mm
1: -hmm. Now, to have entrepreneurs like yourselves invest in the community is one thing, but it also requires action from our city leaders. So I want to ask you both, what actions do you want to see from Metro government? Elisheba.
0: I really want to see Metro really stop this backing away from supporting the arts and to really get equitable on what kind of funds and and initiatives they're giving to people who already own property instead of the people who are coming in to buy property. Um, I'm sure there must be some options and tools out there and make sure they're actually getting to the people that they need to be getting to. You can't say that you're going to offer an opportunity and then give some really difficult way to access it um, or however uh, way you do to block what's going on. But investing in the people who are here, who own these properties already, who who want to be here and who've been here for decades is initial.
1: Jordan. Yes. Um, Yeah, so for
5: me, I think uh, I think as we see the, the property values rise, both commercially and residentially, you know the younger generations are going to are, are, seem to be moving further and further out if they don't have family that's already in the neighborhood. And w- what I see that happening, especially in light of these high gas prices, is that the the availability of people who live and work, who live near where they work, you know, is, is going to decrease.
1: Got one final question for you, Alicia. We'll give the last question to you. You've got about a minute. What do you want North Nashville to look like in ten years?
0: In ten years, I want North Nashville to truly be this artistic capital that it has been for so long for uh, African Americans, for people of color, and just for genuine people who believe in growth and change and and investing in a community wholeheartedly and seeing what blooms of that. And I know that's possible because we have people here who really do care. And with proper investment from everybody, we can make things happen that you've only dreamed of.
1: That was Aliciaba Israel-Mrozik, owner of One Drop Inc. Jordan Harris is gonna stick around with us through the break. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in for this rebroadcast of our 2022 episode on the North Nashville art scene. We can't look ahead without looking back, right? After the break, we'll go way, way back to a legendary nightclub of North Nashville's past. We'll be right back. This is Nashville. Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Before the break, we were hearing from a few folks who are investing in the future of North Nashville and working to keep its vibrant art scene alive. Now, let's take a look back. A few times a month, we take you out into the city with us to show you an ordinary street corner, a vacant grocery store, a brand new CVS, now i know what you're thinking that doesn't sound very exciting our goal is to bring our history to life to show you what our city has been today we're dropping a pin on a busy stretch of charlotte avenue between 11th and 12th and yes to be honest it's not much to look at right now to give you an idea of why we sent this is nashville senior producer steve Harouche to a parking lot let's travel back in time all the way back to the fall of 1963 as the inimitable Etta James, just 25 years old, takes the stage at the legendary venue known as the New Era Club. Oh,
5: new Etta
6: James Rocks the House It's probably the most enduring musical artifact of the New Era Club. It was recorded live over two September nights that year in 1963 and the atmosphere is absolutely electric. It feels like you're right there with James in a sparkling white dress wailing away on the small wooden stage. That didn't keep the city from demolishing the new era club to make way for I-40 less than a decade later. The club did relocate to 12th and Charlotte where it was later renamed the modern era. That's where I'm standing now. It's a very busy area.
3: And the New Era was like
6: the That's Nashville native Ron Wynn. And that's one of the reasons why Chess decided to record Eddie James there in 63, was because the New Era had such a national reputation. Ron always knew about the New Era Club, but it wasn't until about 20 years ago that he really dug into its legacy.
3: Uh, one of the things that I guess people who weren't around in that time don't really understand is that Nashville was a hub for black music activity.
6: The New Era first opened in 1939, and this whole area became a regular stop for touring acts, which isn't to mention the local talent gigging nearly every night. As the traffic zips past us, Ron and I look around for any indication that the New Era Club was ever here. There's nothing. There are some sprinkler outlets. There's a little drain pipe. There's what looks like to be sort of a utility door. Um, And this really just the side of a building. Uh, There's no marker here. And down where the the previous location was uh, is a parking lot that abuts the highway.
3: This is kind of typical of many cities in terms of the neglect of the history that's in their backyard. They kind of just take it for granted.
7: But not everyone takes that history for granted. My name is Lorenzo Washington founder of the Jefferson Street Sound Museum. Lorenzo was a regular at the New Era back in its heyday. The New Era Club was packed every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. It was so much fun being in that
6: building. There were beer taverns and boarding houses nearby and a popular restaurant known for serving up heaping plates of food. Actually, that place was owned by guitarist Johnny Jones, who helped Jimi Hendrix refine
7: his technique. This was the Mecca of, of our black community. Uh, Charlotte, uh, uh, Buckhannon, uh, Jefferson Street, you know. Uh, uh, we as black folk over here at that time was pretty much self-contained because we couldn't go to the white hotels and the white establishments. And at the heart of the Mecca
6: was the New Era Club. It wasn't a big room. Lorenzo says it held about
7: 150 people. But it was so much excitement in that club and so many great artists and musicians. Of course, uh, Etta James played in that club. Speaking of Etta James Rocks the House. Well, I wasn't there that night, but uh, one of my good friends, uh, James Watson, he played bass uh, on that album. And he didn't know that they were actually making an album what he tells me he just thought he was there jamming with edda james and he said now uh this is what he said they didn't get paid for it either (laughs) because they didn't sign contracts uh saying that they were recording an album not been able to confirm
6: this story with james watson who is still alive but it wouldn't be the first time a musician didn't get paid for their work one regular performer at the New Era was Jackie Shane. She was a singer with a powerful voice and commanding stage presence. She was also openly trans in the Jim Crow South.
0: Tell her that I'm happy. Tell her that i Tell her I'm
7: happy. Any other and she was afraid to death that she was gonna be uh, hurt or killed here in Nashville. And she would open up for Jimi Hendrix. And she has told me a number of times that uh, Jimi loved her playing, cause uh, Jackie played the drums and she could play drums standing up and sing at the same time.
6: Today, Jackie Shane is gone and there's nothing left of the New Era Club.
7: Well, almost nothing. When they were tearing that building down, I saw the uh knocking it down. And I uh, drove up and uh, went in there and asked the guy, could I take some bricks, a piece of the mirror, a piece of the floor, uh, just to have it. I've got the pieces right over here in the case. Oh, those are the pieces. Those are the pieces. All right. Those Um, are the bricks from the actual New Era
6: Club. It's just one of the many memories that Lorenzo was working to keep alive.
1: And our next guest can take us even further back than 1963, Lucius Spoonman Tally, Welcome to This is Nashville. Thanks for having me. Now, it's a pleasure and an honor to have you, sir. Now, should I call you Lucius or Spoonman?
3: Either. Whatever suits you. <laughs> okay. You can, you can call me anything. I'm, uh, nothing insults me, you know.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, I understand you actually performed at the New Era Club. Is that right?
3: No, that's wrong. I uh, I was performing on Jefferson Street. I only performed one time at the New Era Club. Tell me about that night, that one time that you performed. That one night was a special night that they let the band off. Okay. And one of the main musicians that I work with and... Was D Ford Bailey, and he had a band. So D Ford, Carl Malone, a guitar player, myself, and uh, oh, I forgot the keyboard player name, uh, organ player. And uh, Tom Malone was guitar. I was on drums. D Ford Bailey was on bass, and we had a tap dancer. And he also could play spoons, tap dance, sing, and drums named Eddie Taylor. We call him Taps. Mm -hmm. And he left and he was starring with uh, Jackie Shane up in Canada. They did a lot in Canada. Okay.
1: Okay. Describe the atmosphere in the club at those days for me. I mean, what was it really
3: like? Well... It was the place to be for me because, really, I didn't have any business being in there at my age. I started going in there at the age of 15. Oh, wow. With uh, Little Richard. Little Richard was staying at the Delma Hotel upstairs over a pool room. Mm-hmm. And I was playing hooky from school, hanging out in the pool room. And everything during my time was about gambling. And all these guys that hung in the pool room on Jefferson, they had pretty Cadillacs, Oldsmobiles, and and to see them, and they didn't have no job, wonder how they got that money, how they got that car. So I start hanging out. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really got, got in trouble at the age of 17, cutting class so much, and uh, my final exams was coming up for high school, and I played hooky, didn't take the final exams, so when I come home, my mother and father was waiting on me. They said, you ain't been to school in a month. So my mother had a brother that was a big-time bookie, gambler, and she put him on me, and he come back with the Say He's hanging out with people older than him, band, different that. They wouldn't let me play drums in school. I was so small. I didn't weigh, I think in the 12th grade, I was weighing about 101, 102. Okay. So uh, when I came home that day from school, this white gentleman was in my living room with a uniform on, and my mother and father signed me in the Air Force. Hmm. And I went in the Air Force and stayed four years. So when I got out of the Air Force, I had learned a good lesson of life, everything that I need to do and straighten my life out. So I went over to the high school to get my high school diploma. And the principal said, You don't want to be over here with these younger kids. Said, All experience you got and everything. Said, We got a school um, Watkins Institute on Church Street and they said with your transcript you passed everything because I was a student all the way through school, played the band, played all the woodwind instruments. So he said you don't need nothing but history and English. So I took history and English at Watkins Institute and got my diploma. At the same time, I had Bullet developed into a musician after in the Air Force, and started playing drums with D. Ford Bailey, Don Q. Pullen, and Louis Brooks. Okay, they huh. were some of the top names older than me that was the stand out on Jefferson Street and around Nashville, the Elks Club, Louis Brooks band, Earl Gaines, and uh, that crowd, and the Stillaway. When I was First met Lil' Richard, he was playing at the club Revelot, which was 14th in Jefferson, and later on it changed to the Stillaway Club. But when Lil' Richard had it, I used to take his uniforms to Jefferson Street Cleaners, which was right across the street, and he seen the interest. Lil' Richard seen the interest that I was a drummer, he would slip me in the club. Said, "Don't go no further than that stage and shut your mouth. Sit right there <laughs> and okay. watch that drummer." And I did that. And he eased me in and eased me out. And we stayed friends for life, you know. And uh, every time I get ready to open my mouth, Little Richard would say, "Shut your mouth." And I would shut my mouth and learn. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, sir. You know, I can't front. I cannot front at all. I'm really jealous of hearing these stories. Jordan Harris from My Cable On Images is still on the line. Jordan, did you get to hear stories like this when you were growing up?
5: I mean, the stories the stories that I had were were more about, uh, like, you know, we had special events going on at the bookstore, and my father would bring uh, people to town on the on the academic side, um, we had we had Rosa Parks come to the store and do a book signing, and it had people a you know, hundred people out the door down Twenty Eighth Avenue um, trying to come in and, and get a sign in. I guess our yeah my our years were shortly after the heyday of the clubs on on Jefferson Street with the bookstore, um, but Nashville has always still been you know a music place, so you know a lot of Artists have been by the bookstore over the years, like the Nappy Roots and um Dead Prez and and different different people like that in the in the post kind of blues era. Yeah. Um but, yeah. but I, I definitely have been down to Jefferson Street Sound Museum and and seen, you know, how 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 cool everything was. And it just really makes you feel like it's not out of reach to to bring those days back.
1: Is Jordan, is there anything you'd like to ask Lucius?
5: Yeah, I, so I always wonder, you know, what, inside those clubs, like, is it, are people coming in and having dinner and, and and sitting down and eating, and the music's on, or is it is it a dance floor? Like, what's the, the procession in time from,
3: you know, 8 o'clock through the evening as people come by? Well, dinner, you would have dinner at the Best Place on Jefferson, which was, uh, Brown's Dinner Club, and uh, they had all the well educated doctors from Fish, Meharry, that area right there, Fish, Meharry, Tennessee State. And it was learning for the kids of my time. We learned how to act by watching them. We learned how to do math, geometry, and trigonometry from the ones like you come on down from the dinner club. We had the University Inn, which would face uh, Jubilee Hall in the back at fist, and uh, you come on down. You It wasn't no time that you didn't see student doctors, student dentists, students where uh, the kids today don't have help. We had, in my time, was segregation, and they wanted every black kid out there to succeed. And all you had to do was make the right choices. You could make the right choices or the wrong choices, all at the same time. We had gambling going all up and down there, because you had Clarksville, Tennessee, with all of those soldiers, and nothing in Clarksville was dry. And every weekend, the soldiers come to Jefferson Street for fun, for party, for whatever scene or whatever. They came to Jefferson Street. And it was a lot of people that hung out on Jefferson Street that never worked a job in their life. They took care of what the soldiers wanted and took care with crooked dice beating the soldiers and it got so bad that the military police rode with the city police in Nashville on the weekends to make sure the soldiers that got beat or tricked or uh, uh Prostitution, or you know, whatever. But all of this went on. Everything went on on Jefferson. Nice. It was cording. What type of music you like? If you love jazz, you gonna to went to a jazz set with the best musicians there, and you you knew how to act.
1: Man, when I tell you that Spoonman had all the stories, he did. We ran out of time in the hour to hear them all when we first aired this last march. But don't worry, we plan to have him back. Lucius Spoonman Tally is a longtime musician who grew up near Jefferson Street and performed at North Nashville's clubs in the 60s. He was joined by Jordan Harris, owner of Akebulon Images. Please enjoy Spoonman on what else? The Spoons, performing with a live band. Thanks for tuning in for this rebroadcast. Tomorrow, we're bringing you a full episode on how our community is responding to the deadly Covenant school shooting. If you'd like to share how this tragedy is affecting you, leave us a voicemail or write to us at thisisnashville.org. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tutto. The masterminds behind our theme music are Larange and Namir Blade. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ecolona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other. Thank you.